Well, it's episode 196 of the Canes cast, and Shane, I, I think we haven't done this in so long. We need some help. Do you mind if we bring in Scott Burnside? I hope so, because I'm a little rusty. I just want to say, at 196, you're kind of like the mash of hockey podcasts, right? I mean, that's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're trying to get into uh, a syndication and see what happens from there. We're just waiting on the cold, crisp, storm brew limited edition. Once Ooh. we get over two hundred, maybe holiday edition as well. <laughs> That's edition. right. Thank you, Storm Brew, the sponsor of this podcast. Scott Burnside is joining us, of course, contributor to CarolinaHurricanes.com and, of course, Daily Faceoff. Read all of the great work that he puts out whenever Scott puts out an article. It is always worth your time in the middle of the day or late at night or early in the morning to read it. And trust me, with the uh, the road trip that the Canes have, I believe that I, I tacked on to every single one of those time frames, Scott. Oh, and one more thanks to Stormbrew. The light, crisp, refreshing beverage. You know it's just 97 calories and 2.4 carbs, Shane. And fits in your carry-on. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. All right. So um, where where to begin? Because when we, we last talked, you know, we were, what, barely 10 games into the season. Uh, the Canes were looking to go 10-0 and 0 on, uh, on the year. And now we're at the quarter pole with a, a long West Coast swing. So... Uh, first things first, let's get a, I guess, a check on where we think the Canes are at. 15-5-1 through 21 games. I'll start with you, Scott. I'll take that every day of the week, but what's your thought on, on where the Canes have gotten through the first 21 games of the year? I know, absolutely. I mean, if you if you looked and said, okay, we think about what we'd like to have accomplished in the first quarter of our season and where we'd like to be in the standings, and I, I, I fail to see that there would be you know, a lot to, to, to complain about, you know, is it perfect? And, and I think, you know, recency bias creeps into it because the team was so good for you know, so much of October and into November. I think we were talking about, like, put the jinx on them. Maybe could they run the table yep. into November, go 11 and 0 or whatever it was. Yep. And, and, and since then, you know, it, it, there have been a couple of losses, you know, disappointing loss at home against Washington at the end of that road trip. But, I mean, Shane, you, you speak to this you know, way better than I can, but what's the hardest thing after a monster road trip? You come home, you play a matinee against one of the best teams in the NHL and certainly your uh, closest competitor to the top spot in the Metro. That's a hard thing. And then thanks to the schedule makers, right, jump back on a plane, go to Dallas, you're missing three right-handed defensemen due to the uh, COVID protocols. Yeah. Um, and and you dominate a game in terms of chances and 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 look like you deserve a better outcome than you do, but it's another loss against Dallas. So, you know, I get where people might be going, oh, is, where are we at? But I think really big picture, a quarter of the way through the season, boy, that's I think you have to be feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, and I think those are things we always have to be realistic. I mean, the team comes out of the gates 9-0, and and we're talking about running the table, get to 11-12-0, and we take a loss. And credit to this team because of the way they promote their own expectations and how Rod pushes them on a day. So as fans, I think when they lose, we get a little bit squirrely because we're like, they're not supposed to be losing. They're you know They have expectations, but in reality, you're not going to go – 81 and one you're not going to go 75 and five I mean 15 five and one is a great start and a great position to be in as you head into the month of December coming off a tough loss in Dallas I thought they had spurts but as we talk about you have to have a complete game but going into that game I knew that was the game as an ex-player that 
the road trip was going to hit. Coming back home, you have the energy of your fans and a building and a rivalry between the Caps that I thought, what a hockey game. Although you lost, what a hockey game to watch and be a part of. Um, Back and forth, the physicality. But then that one day and going to Dallas, I was definitely nervous as that game started last night of like, how are the legs going to be coming out of the gates? And you saw they were behind a little bit early. The early power play doesn't help yeah. uh, get you off on a negative start. But I thought they battled it. And I gave a little bit of credit because Braden Hopi looked like he did uh, a few years ago as he played for the Caps because he made some very key saves at key times in the game to really not give the Hurricanes any real momentum in that one. Yeah, the other thing about that game from last night is uh, we're recording this podcast the day after the Canes losing 4-1 in Dallas. You give up a goal a minute 13 into a game and Rod addressed it last night. The players talked about it, too. It does change the game plan a little bit, even though it's the first goal and you have 58-plus minutes left of the game. It kind of takes things out of what you want to do. Now you're chasing it a little bit. But uh, I don't think the schedule makers did the Canes any favors. And this is by no means a complaint. It's For me, I just didn't understand when you're coming back from the West Coast, when you're in Seattle, why don't you fly to Dallas instead of flying to Philadelphia to fly home? I'm, I'm just doing geography here. Uh, and, um, you know, by no means am I a schedule maker or somebody who will schedule trips. But I just looked at that and I was with Shane. I wasn't too worried about the Caps game after the, the Friday afternoon game. But Dallas was red hot. They'd won four in a row. They were 5-0 and in their last five at home. And that line right now, of Rope Hints with, <laughs> with, with Joe Pavelski and, and Jason Robertson, who, by the way, sophomore, nobody talks about Jason Robertson. We talk about best young players in the league. He's always making something happen with the puck. It's a tough game. Brayden Holpe's 500th game. He did something that not even Jacques Plant did. And for people who don't know who Jacques Plant is, who are new hockey fans, Google him. <laughs> You'll find out. Uh, goalies need to thank him every day because he's the guy who said, no, I'm wearing a mask to play goalie. Yeah, goalies used to not wear masks. But it just seemed like, no pun intended, the stars aligned against the Carolina Hurricanes in that game the other night. And you guys have been watching the, the, so closely, and uh, you know, Mike, you, you you know, went through that road trip. I wonder, to me, the challenge for this team, and when when you hit a stretch like this, and especially where, and if I was prepared, I'd have the shot total in front of me, but whatever the shot totals were last night, forty to seventeen. Thank you. You know, when you feel that you might deserve a little bit better, if you had a little bit more puck lock, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to me the challenge will be for this team not to get frustrated, right? Because, hey, in general, our team, you know, in, even the games that they've lost, they probably have been the better team or certainly haven't. There haven't been many games where you walked away and you said, you know what, they were the second best team on the ice. And that's, I mean, it's going to happen over 82 yeah. games. But to me the challenge will be, for a team not to get frustrated, not to, um, you know, sort of worry about a game like that Dallas game or, you know, against Washington they, where I thought they came back nicely. Um, for me, the issue is is the whole discipline thing. Yep. Can you can you not let your frustration manifest itself in taking more penalties, which is which is a problem for this team. You know, I think in a in a in a micro kind of thing, that that's one thing that I would say after the quarter first quarter of the season. Man, if you took a little bit, if you spent more time playing five on five, where I think they're fourth overall in five on five goals, that would be a better thing. That would be something to work towards. Yeah, I think that's the nature coming out of the Dallas game. And and talking about the schedule, tough stretch. Every team's got a 
piece of their schedule that they're going, what is this all about? Yep. You know, uh, Ottawa is going to play at home on Wednesday night, then fly down here to play on a back-to-back against the Canes. Um, a young upstart team, but with their ups and downs. And I think after a loss, as you said, in Dallas, I would say there's only been one game where the Hurricanes were the second-best team, and that was the Florida game. And I think every player in that room would say the same thing. The Canes are going to get the best out of every team. They played extremely well. They could have won any one of these games. And to me, the signs, and I talked about consistency, is what makes a great team. How quick can you stop the bleeding, right? If you can bounce back the next night and get a win, you're back on track. It's compiling those losses is what great teams do not do. And I think the Canes will show that again when they face the Senators and then Buffalo on Saturday night here at PNC Arena. Yeah, and Scott, you hit on something about the road trip, and I think what people have forgotten, it's been over a year and a half since NHL teams have gone on road trips like this. You know, last season, you'd go on the road, but you would stay in the same city for three days, four days, and play two games. And it wasn't the, all right, we're going to play in Vegas, and we're going to fly tomorrow to Anaheim, and we're going to play Anaheim, and then bus to L.A., then play L.A., fly the next day. I mean, it's it sounds crazy. And, and look, it's not like they're – you know, taking the the plane from Major League, you know, it's it's a, a chartered airline and, and things that go with that, and and the hotels are very nice, but it is travel, and you get to that point where, and Scott, you know this from covering game to game to game, Shane, you know it from being a player. You wake up some days, and all you know is we're either playing today or not. You don't know if it's a Friday or a Monday, and I was talking to a few players about it in the trip, in in the same time. Two things can be true. It felt like it was you played three games in three minutes, but it also felt like we were on the road for a month. Yeah. So I don't think that that played into it because, again, that road trip, they went 4-1-1. One, and one. Anytime you tell me that a team from the East Coast or the West Coast comes East, they're going to play six games and they're going to go 4-1-1, one, and one, you take it. You run to the bank with it. But there's something else. You mentioned the penalties they're taking. I'm going to go to the power play. And, yeah, I'm looking at you, Shane, when I say that. <laughs> Um, they have the talent on the power play where they shouldn't, on paper and in theory, and they know it, not be 0 for 12 in you know their last 12 attempts, things like that. So when you're looking at the power play, maybe you can say you don't have Tony D'Angelo in Dallas last night who's quarterbacking the, the first power play unit or whatever unit you want to look at it. But you had a couple of players out of place or in, in new spots, but – what is – is there anything missing, or are you looking at it – well, the chances are there. You just got to find a way to bury one of them, and, and you can then exhale. Yeah, I don't – I mean, obviously Tony D'Angelo is a big piece because we know what a elite defenseman quarterback can do. And a lot of forwards don't play that position. A lot of forwards have tried, and they haven't succeeded in that position. That said, I thought Teravainen, Tavo Teravainen, was good last right. night in that position yeah. with that group. And I also think when we talk about negativity and emotions creeping your game – when the power play is bad, it is the worst place for a player to be. It is so easy to turn on each other, to just pound yourself into the ground. I don't know why. Probably because you think you should be scoring every time. I mean, there's only four guys out here, and we can't beat them. But over 12, that is where, to me, a lot of the negativity is creeping in more than any part of the game. And as a player, it's the hardest point. You just need one to go in, and you're kind of back on track. But it's almost like, do we not want to get power plays, or do we want to get more Will that make it better or worse? You know, you're always second-guessing almost in your head, and it seemed that way last night for the Canes. It just wasn't free-flowing and smooth. It was 
I got it. Are you going there? Where are you going? And it was a lot of questions. But again, you're going to deal with adversity. And this group is far too good to, you know, not break out on the power play one night and, and score all three times or all four times and, and get right back on track. I think I would. I, I love the power play talk because, you know, I looked uh, this morning and some of the some teams where you, that you just don't expect would struggle on the power play. I don't know where Vegas is at now, but they, I mean, they started the season. Well, even going back to last season, could not score in the power play, could not score in the power play to start this season. And yet, you know, it's similar to Carolina, I think. You know, Pittsburgh's in the same boat. And now I know they, you know, no Crosby, but, you know, uh, or sorry, no Crosby early. Crosby's back, no Malkin. Uh, but, again, that's a talented team, but it's it's just not happening. And, and I, Shane, I think you're absolutely right. To me, the mental part of that is, you know, if you're not a good team, and you go dry on the power play, maybe the pressure just is in a completely different vein than if you're an elite team and you suddenly go dry. And, and I think you're right. They, that expectation is you want to take advantage. You want to make teams pay for taking penalties. Uh, and when you can't do it, I, I think that is a real challenge. And, and I don't know where it comes from. I don't know whether it's, yep. it, you know, is it a coaching thing? Is it a scheme thing? Is it... You know, like I liked, I was thrilled. I saw five forwards out there last night for a little bit. It not for, didn't last very long, but as forwards, we always think that's a good idea. Then we realize <laughs> this is this is a lot harder than it looks. Well, uh, bring the defenseman back out. Uh, Rod was asked the question. I think Chip Alexander asked it about going with five forwards. And Rod said it was in the pregame. Yeah, we did it like seven years ago, and you couldn't remember it, so it must not have been that good. Uh, which is a good line, by the way. There will be the well actually people who listen to the podcast. I hate to be this guy. Canes are 0 for 17 on the power play. They're mm. not 17 tries. But well, you hit dry, you you are in the course of a season. You're going to hit dry spells. When you talk about the mental side of things, just think about, I remember being and playing in this building on the power play. You know the only time your own fans boo you? When is when a power play the power stinks. play stinks. Yeah. You don't get booed coming out from a five-on-five five shift. It's after a brutal power play. The puck keeps getting shot back to your end. You know, that's the mental side of it. These guys feel the heat. When they're on the power play and, you know, all their fans are yelling, shoot. I was in a good <laughs> conference one time. I don't know if it was Rod or, or Steve Smith when he was here talking to our fans. He's like, you know when you guys are yelling, shoot? We don't want them to shoot from there. That's not what we want. Yep. We're trying to do something. <laughs> but uh, it's in the fans, just MO, like shoot. Uh, one of my good friends always yells, shoot the ball. He's, you know, from the south and he hasn't broke into the <laughs> puck era yet. But It's the great, it's the, everybody knows the Walter Gretzky quote. Right. You know, the 100% of the shots you don't take don't go in. Yeah, and uh, but sometimes when there's uh, two layers of guys fronting the puck, you don't want to shoot it. Yeah. Although that's the other thing, too, when we talk about power plays, sometimes you want to get too fancy. You know, you, you want to make the extra pass when you should shoot, when that opportunity is there. Shane, that is an actual thing where somebody wanted to pass the puck instead of shooting it all the yeah. time. Yeah. When I was cold, though, I would try and pass, and I still shouldn't. No, so <laughs> yeah. so that's the thing. And, Scotty, you've talked to players about this. I think sometimes when it's cold, you don't want to be the guy who shoots the puck and the goalie eats it, and, oh, yeah. you know, we had momentum, and now it's gone because I, you know, I, I could have made a seam pass to a guy who was wide open. I yeah. mean, that's some of the mentality of it. Well, and you blast on high and wide, and then it goes out, you know, it's off the glass, out does, you know, it goes down yep. the, uh, the other end, and, and I think you know what I've always liked about this uh, this Carolina team though, the last two or three years is that they they aren't a team they're not a meat and potatoes team right I mean they they will make the pass that you think can't be made or they'll make the play that the other team you know can't defend or isn't 
you, you know, they're taken by surprise, and so it's difficult to defend. I love that about how this team appro- approaches the game and specifically the defensive part of it. And so, yeah, I mean, and I guess that's the, the great thing about, especially the power play, is how do you crack that nut then without, you know, you can't abandon who you are, but is there a way of, you know, dumbing it down or simplifying it? Is it getting more pox? I, I don't know the answer to it, but it, but at 0-17, it is, you know, it's something that's a real thing. It's a real thing to, to that you have to address. And, and Jane, I, I think you're right. At some point, you know, they'll go three for three or three for four or whatever it's going to be. Um, and it'll be like, this never happened. But I'm, I'm assuming in the middle of it, you're like, oh my God, this is never going to end. Yeah, you see the arm go up and be like, well, here we go again. And it just takes that one bad pass and the puck goes down yep. 200 feet and you're like, well, here we go. Oh, 20 know. seconds already <laughs> off this power play. Here comes the boo birds. I don't, I mean, I, 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 I think that there is the other side of it too. The Canes penalty kill has been so good that, not that it's a competition, but, you know, they went into last night's game ranked third in the NHL on the kill. And, you know, if the kill's going going well, the power play feels, well, we should be going well, too. There's that kind of inner competition. It's not a bad thing, but you, you get to those points. Also, we're talking about a team that is 15-5-1. So, uh, Perspective. I, yeah, just I, I always feel like I need to draw everybody back into that reality of, like, what do you what do you want? Oh, well, they lost to this team. They lose to that team. Why are they losing that game? Well, the parity in this league has never been the way that it is now. The gap between the worst team in the league and the best team in the league is not like it was 10 years ago. Definitely not 20 and 25 years ago. And that's where special teams becomes glaring. Because if you're spending 9, you know, 11 minutes on special teams, that's a, you know, a good portion of the game. And if somebody scores a power play goal or a shorthanded goal, the way the game is played now, that that usually ends up being the difference in these games. Well, and and this is, I mean, not every team, you know, you talk about the separation between the good and the and, and the bad teams, or the struggling and yep. the emerging teams, or whatever it is. You know, the, the Hurricanes are one of those five or six teams. Uh, Washington's in that group. Certainly, Florida's in that group. You know, Colorado when they're healthy, Vegas same way. Where I'm sure that the coaches in all those cities would be happy. I mean, they'd like to get some power play time, but I'm sure they'd be just happy if they could play five-on-five five all night yep. because those teams will win 90% of five-on-five five games because they have the depth and they have the skill. And this, I mean, I thought the fourth line, if we label them as such, I thought the fourth line was outstanding against Dallas. And, I, you know, I thought, and again, I'm sure that Rod Brindamore wants as much as possible to be rolling those guys out because at the end of most nights, you're going to win those games. But if you're... You know, if, if your power play's not going and there's only 10, maybe 11 guys that'll get a sniff of that, um, and certainly, you know, you know, the, when you're killing penalties, you just, you know, the team is one of the worst teams in the NHL in penalty differential, which I think is the, you know, the proper term. Yeah. yeah. And to me, that is the key, you know, again, to, you know, pull yourself, if this is a mini funk, more five on five you play. Yep better you're going to be and that you know especially against teams like you know ottawa and buffalo and you know buffalo's plays a lot harder and a lot different than we've seen them play the last couple of years so you don't take them lightly and ottawa's in a they're in a funk hard to take a bite out of ottawa yeah but you can't (laughs) (laughs) you got you can't you 
can't open the door for those teams, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. By taking penalties. Thank you. Well, you I, tried, yeah, yeah. I tried to work I tried to work one of the NHL yeah, big know, stories yeah, in there I, as well. Sorry, I should have just given you the pause. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. No, I'm glad that you kept the head down and kept going. Yeah. Well, don't hey don't, don't I missed the cue card. I, I mean, you need the, <laughs> the, the you know the the Brady Kachuk getting uh, chomped by Brendan uh, Lemieux. Anyway, uh, so I, everything that everything that Scotty just said though that's the truth with it. It's you want five on five play. And the other thing about hockey that I think is absolutely wonderful and infuriating that makes it um, just a notch below golf on the how can this happen? Why do we play this game? The Canes in two of those games where they only got one point in the San Jose game and the Seattle game. If you just watch the game, you'd say, well, the, the Hurricanes, you know, forget the score. Who won the game? Well, the Hurricanes must have won this game by two or three goals. Right. And they don't. They could have been 6-0 and on that trip. Oh, I mean, easily. You're, you're not going 6-0 and on road trips because you are going to run into a hot goaltender or you're going to run into a night where what Scott just said, it's, it's a power play fest and you don't get five-on-five five play. Somebody gets the goal and every coach – I think would say, you know what, we'll go a whole game and don't call a penalty, you know, unless you absolutely have to. Um, and we'll be getting more to that in a minute. But you watch how the Canes played in that San Jose game and the Seattle game, and they were telling you almost to a man, they deserve to win those games more than they deserve to win in Los Angeles and Anaheim, where they actually got victories. Yeah. So I don't know how it happens outside of a goaltender, which is uh, the most important position in, in pro sports because they do have – a quarterback and, and pitcher, they have as much impact on a game as, as anybody. So you run into a goalie who he's got it, you know, dialed in that night. Shane, you know what it's like. You've gone up against some of the greatest ever to play. Guys like Hashik and Brodeur and Wah, you know that they're nice. No matter what we do, we're just not going to beat this guy. Well, and you can see it. You can feel it as a player when you get some chances and you're like, well, this guy's on. You're not – I mean – Going back and watch the highlights, I was flipping last night too when I got home, and you flip over to Nashville, Columbus. I mean, Saros after the first period, you knew it was over. Yeah, I mean, everything was going in Columbus net, and they were getting some great A's, and Saros was all over the place. And players know that you're going to need to bump into them, get a tip in or something, but you're not beating them straight away. So, um, goaltenders can definitely steal games, and we've seen it. Freddie Anderson has done it for the Canes this year too. Is there a moment? Like, is there? One that even now you think of, man, I, that guy always had my number, or that that was that was a night I should have had a bunch. Is there is there one? Um, I'd probably have to go back to Mike's area and Dominic Hasek. He was a guy who was so good, and I most respect, but such an awkward style. Because as a shooter, you know, you can say this guy really drops his glove down, or he's got low stick. There's scouting reports on these guys. Dominic, you didn't know which way he was going to go. I mean, he might jump left, but kick his right leg out and make a save. So those were the guys that were hard to score on. Um, I never really played good in Buffalo, but when they came here, it was just like, man, you can't get one by this guy. He's all over the place. I mean, he's like an octopus just yeah. laying all around the ice. But he was a guy I remember all the time, just hard to score on. There wasn't a MO to shoot high right. Nope. Yeah. Didn't matter. He'd headbutt it away if he had to. Correct. Like, that was the thing. He was the first guy who I remember dropping the goalie stick in – covering the puck, you know, because he didn't want to play with the stick. He felt that would, you know, hamper his chances of making a save. But uh, there has to, as a goal scorer, there has to be a game where you had two, three, going, I should add six tonight. Uh, it would have been the game here, and I laughed because Paul Maurice, and he probably laughed too thinking about it, when I scored my hat trick against the Atlanta Thrashers. So 
So I scored one early, and the second one, I got a breakaway. And I'm not going to lie, I was going high glove, and I whiffed it, and it went right between his legs on the ice. <laughs> he went he went with the glove, too, and it went on the ice. And when I came back to the bench, Moe's laughs. He goes, nice miss, Wilbur. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. And then later in the third, I was wide open. I mean, the puck comes to you, you hammer it in, and it was just like, man, just, you can do anything on those nights. And you can feel him as a player early in a game, and that's why I always talk about the power play. I used to hate the power play first shift. Like, if you're still on the bench, like, oh, here we go. It just you weren't into the game yet. But you could tell the games you were getting shots and you just had a feel of everything going in. Uh, you know, again, last night, Rope Hintz yep. is red hot. I mean, everything he's shooting is going in. Uh, Forsberg last night, you look at his goals in Nashville. The one he was just standing in front of hit him in the stick and then he taps it in, you know, to get four. So it happens on nights, but... Well, I mean, Joe Pavelski for the, the third goal, cruising by, puck hits off of the post, hits off of Freddie Anderson's back, and then, you know, Pavelski waves at it. I don't think he got the second contact on it, and then it, it rolls into the net, and it's his goal. And you're just sitting here going, all right, well, those are the guys where, you know, he scored 401 of them. He, he kind of knows how to put himself in a good spot. Thanks for driving the Thrashers out of Atlanta, by the yeah. way. That's, yeah. Anyway, thanks for I that. I used to enjoy playing there, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, Scotty, if you've ever talked to anybody who played during that era, they wish that the Thrashers never left. They always guys, a lot of guys had a lot of careers in a short time against the Atlanta Thrashers. I'm very I used to hopeful hate that commute from the plane to the hotel. Though I'm very hopeful Rude. Don Waddell is not listening to us right now. Don <laughs> could have turned this off five minutes ago. Um, no, he's he's fine. <laughs> he's he's got a team here that um, if there's one thing that you'd say is the strength of the Carolina Hurricanes right now this year. What's the one thing that you rely on and say, okay, for me, I, I know that this is kind of an ambiguous statement, but it is the fact that they are consistent every game. The work ethic is the same every game. That's what I count on. I don't – you mentioned that Florida game, Shane, that that was the one game where they weren't the better team. They really had one awful period where they were down 4 nothing after the first. They still had a chance. You know, they make it a 4-2 game. They had a chance in a game that you should say they had no business doing yeah, one it. One more goal in that five-minute power play. Yeah. And then it's now it's a, a 4-3 game, and I think we saw what Florida did to Washington last night. Once that snowball starts, starts rolling downhill, the other teams, you know, oh, what are we going to do now? And for me, again, it's the work ethic. They don't come off it. They just don't. They play it that way for 60 minutes, and I think that's the one thing that I count on, that even if it's not their night, they're not going to just throw their arms up in the air and say, well, we're going to go on to the next one. That's, that's, for me, the biggest strength of this team. You want to go first? <laughs> you go first. Uh, I, I'll, I'll sort of piggybacks on Mike's, but for me, it's you know it's a team that that is never out of a game, and uh, you know I think of that Washington game, and you get down early, and you come back, and you know maybe you deserve a better fate, but I just I like, and to me, it's and it's led, it's led by your skill guys. Like, I think there, are, I think there are teams. That if it's not going great early for some teams, then some guys are banking energy and looking ahead to the next day. And, you know, I mean, it's a long season and it's hard. It's hard to play hard every night and it's hard to play hard when you're behind. But I, I like, and, and maybe it's the preparation and maybe it's the work ethic, whatever it is, but I like how this team is never out of it. And I think that's, and I think other teams understand that and, respect that so uh, I like that part of it and uh, 
you know, and and to me, it's the skill guys who lead the way quite often in in those in those circumstances. Well, I'm gonna piggyback off both those because I agree completely with both of those. And to me, the one reason why they're never out of it is their depth. To me, when I look at this team, and I'm not talking about depth into the minor leagues into Chicago, which we saw a couple guys last night, but I'm talking about four line six defensemen. Someone tell me where the hole is. Where when this guy goes over the boards, you're a little bit nervous. Because he's a rookie. He's a young guy. He doesn't really do much when he comes over. The Canes have four lines and every one of their six guys that competes. One, as you mentioned, Mike, and can go and score goals and do the things that they need to do every night to get you back in those games. And I think that, as an opposing coach, would worry me. I can't go, here's my checking line. I'm going to put them here because then we're good. Well, hold on. What about that line? What about that line? Now you have Kokanami on your fourth line, if we're going to call it that, yep. buzzing and scoring. What, what do you cover? What do you choose to cover? And I look at the team. I go back a couple years past Tampa to our nemesis, the Boston Bruins, who I've never, I mean, respect their success. They rely on one line. Yep. Although that Krejci line was very good. Right. But, I mean, ultimately, that power play, because Krejci gets to jump out there with those guys. Now you're, what do the Bruins do to cover what the Canes have, is my question. Or really any team. Two things, and this is perfect because it segues right into these two points. Uh, you talk about Kokiniemi moving to the middle, and I don't think that it is a coincidence that he's just more comfortable there. Shane, as you know, some guys are, are more comfortable at a position. You, you know, anybody say, well, it's easy for a center to play wing. Well, you got to win board battles. You've got to do things certain, you know, how you're wired. You've got to rewire yourself to play a different game. Or a guy who's been a winger, oh, well, we can move him to center because he played there. At one point, it, it takes some time. Moving Jesperi Kotkaniemi back to center is paying off dividends. He's got four goals in his last five games doing that. And um, that line, and I'm with you, I don't know if you label this, but that's why Why are the Hurricanes 9-3-1 and one in 13 games away from this building? Because Rod Brindamore doesn't have to worry about hiding a line in a matchup where the opposing coach gets the last change. He's just like, no, I'm rolling this line out there, and I don't care who you put against them. I'm fine with who we have. And I think that's been a major key to the success of this team. And Derek Stepan, you know, talk about a veteran. When he is centering that fourth line or playing on that fourth line, they're, they're good. That, that's a fourth line that would be a third line on, on most teams in the NHL. And then the center depth as well with Ajo, Trocek, Stahl, and now Code Kinyemi and, and Stepan, who you can rearrange, although Stepan has moved to the wing and has had some good games there. That game in Philly was very good. So I, I look at that in the emergence of, remember that big story, Scott? That was the off-season topic <laughs> about Jesperi Kotkaniemi. And, look, it was going to cost to get a player away for an offer sheet. And we can, we'll can debate the, the money for years and years for one year. But if you wanted a player and you wanted to get him out, that's how you do it with the offer sheet forcing the other team's hand. Yeah. But if he continues to play like this, what, he's on, I think, like a 25-goal pace. I'm not a mathematician, and I promise you that's the last math I will say on this show. But if you get a 20- to 25-goal season, a 45- to 50-point year, you make the playoffs and have four lines that, that are that balanced, okay. Well, and I think, A, I think it's important for him to get an opportunity to play center. It's, it's, it's his natural position. I know he didn't get that opportunity in Montreal, and early on here he's – done a little bit of everything and played in different spots with different groups. But I think, you know, it, if his future is going to be here, 
I, I, I think it's likely as a center, or that's the that's the master plan, right? I mean, ideally, you want him to fill in in what is already tremendous center depth. So yep. I think it's nice he's having success. I think it's, you know, it's a good spot for him to be in. He's not overexposed. You know, the minutes will go up and down based on his production. But I, I, I'm with you. I think it's a good spot for him, and it's nice to see him get rewarded for that. And I just, I, you know, Derek Stepan, I got to tell you, when, when he signed, I was like, know like where what's the fit how's this going to work out and it you know i'm sure he wishes he was in there every single night but i'll tell you every time he plays it's like oh yeah that yep. that he makes an impact and again it's a long season and he will continue to be a really valuable part of this team and my sense of it is is that he's a really important figure in that room for those younger players and how he conducts himself and how he goes about his business and the fact that he's not in there every night not it's, it's not a distraction it's not anything other than when i get my chance i'm going to do my best and 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 i think that's important for a team that's going to need you don't win a cup unless you've got depth coming out the ears yep and i i think that you know this is an interesting part of you know how rod's manipulating his lineup to to take full advantage of that yeah, and I think, I mean, give credit to Rod and his coaching staff with Jesperi. Number one, you have to have patience. You want to move him on the wing. We know why, because defensively you want to be more responsible, make his life easier. But I can tell you, as a guy who played right wing my whole career, didn't play center at all, played a little bit on left wing, and why the, everyone thinks you should play the off wing because you're a great shooter. It's different. I could never settle in on the left wing. It felt like my feet were in cement. I couldn't turn different. You know, you, it's just a different feel. And they tried it, but they realized, okay, we can't do it. So what do we do? You put them with two guys that are extremely responsible in Lawrence and Martinuk and are absolute buzzsaws on the forecheck that are going to open up spaces for a guy who's got a shot to do his thing. And now he settles in and just, you know, you hope this continues on. And the big question coming out of Montreal was he doesn't play consistent enough. Well, now he's on a little bit of a roll. Now he's learning those ways. He's learning the work that this team does every day with Bill Burniston off the ice to develop and mature as a young man. I think it's a great move, and the wing just wasn't the spot that worked. It just, he couldn't yeah. figure it out. It didn't wasn't comfortable, and I completely understand that. And I agree with you, Derek Stepan, to go in there and, I mean, just pick up points every time he jumps in the lineup and then doing what the coach asks. It's a difficult position to be in for him, especially a veteran guy who's done everything in this league. But he's got a smile on his face. He's talking to the young guys. Yep. He's got great friends in Jesper Foss, who he played with the Rangers here, Brady Shea. He's in a very comfortable spot. I think that attributes, too, to what he's doing on the ice every single time he gets in. And you know, when you are a healthy extra, it's not a fun moment in your career, especially for a guy who's done everything he's done. I can tell you, he has been phenomenal. Uh, and, and he's everything that you want out of a veteran player. Uh, two things on, on Code Kenyemi, though, and just kind of wrapping up where, where he's at in, in what happens. We also forget 21 years old. You know, he's Finnish. He comes over to Montreal where he's the third overall pick, so he's expected to be Guy Lafleur. And, and, and you speak know, say, French when he shows say, up. You know, and, and not only speak <laughs> French, but speak English. So he's got, you know, he's Finnish, but he now has to be able to answer questions in two languages and scott as you know the montreal media never ever uses um the hard-handed tactics with players you know i've always said if a player has two goals but he misses an empty net that could have won it and the team goes down the other way the first question is what happened on the empty net or not the two goals so all of that 18 years old 
playing against guys in the best league in the world at center, the most difficult position to play defensively. Well, now he comes down here and he is getting the matchups that he wasn't getting in Montreal. You know, in Montreal, he's going up against Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. Why are these guys eating your lunch? Well, they're two of the best in the world. I'm 18, trying to figure it out. You can put them in. And it's what we talked about, slotting players, and that's where depth becomes huge. When you become a deep team, you can move guys down the lineup where there's maybe a little bit better suited to play for their skills. So that happens there. And the other side of it is just comfortability, Shane, like you say. Knowing the town that you're in, knowing where to get for practice, it 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 doesn't happen in training camp and day one. We all think it should, but about look, 15, 16 games, it's started to click for him here. So we'll see. Well, oh, and I think the way Rod manages his bench as well, you don't care what line you're sitting on. Yeah. You know you're getting time. He knows the value of everybody in it. And as we mentioned early in the show, when they are five on five, they are coming in waves. And a lot of teams just can't hang by the end. We see what they do in third periods, and that's where the talent comes through because of that four-line push. Well, there's one other player we need to mention on these lines uh, who became the talk of the road trip because the question was, was he going to stay with the Carolina Hurricanes or was he going to return to junior in the Portland Winterhawks? And that was Seth Jarvis. And he did what players are supposed to do. He gave management and the coaching staff no choice. You have to keep him here. I don't know if he is going to be one of the finalists for the the Calder, which goes to the Rookie of the Year, but I do know watching him play every night the way that he has now for what he's it is tenth game in in San Jose. So after that, he has played four more. So what he's around twelve, thirteen now. He looks like an NHL player. Like, there are guys, Scotty, you've seen it, Shane, you played with him. We talk about some young guys. It takes time. He, I watch him play. I'm like, he's been in this league four or five years doing the things that he does. And he's not out of place. The moment's not too big for him. And he has been a joy to watch. And I just think he's only going to get better as this year moves on. I don't know if there'll be that that rookie wall that he hits the way that he plays the game. Yeah, I mean, yeah it'll be fascinating to see. And it, I mean, the, the kids in Detroit running one and two right yeah. now uh, will be probably tough to dislodge. But I don't think that matters to anyone uh, in this organization, because I, this team is built that you don't, there are no gift spots. There's no gift spot because you're a first round pick or a high pick. And Shane, you can speak to this better than, than, than I can, but that's not, you know, in, with other organizations that aren't deep, sometimes you get a spot because that's where you were picked. You inherit a spot, not based on what you put into the work or, you know, that your value to the team. And I think that's the important part um, in this case is that we know what Rod Brindamore expects of all his players, especially up front in terms of the defensive responsibilities, in terms of preparation, in terms of those kinds of things. The, the, the bar is set really high here. Um, and so Seth Jarvis meets that bar. Players know that he's earned his spot here, so there's no feelings of, why is this kid getting ice time or power play time who doesn't deserve it? And all that kind of politics that I think still exists for some teams doesn't exist here because the bar is set where it's set. He's earned every minute of it. And I think the game changing and the kids maturing much earlier, I think these kids jumping in the league now have that drive and passion. There's not as much flair and attitude coming in, but I think Seth Jarvis has had the perfect attitude coming in. The coaches and team was honest front with him from day one and said, we're not sure if you're going to get in, 
But when you do get in, you need to be ready. And he's put in the time in the video room off the ice to learn all these things of the game. His skill is never a question. I mean, his skill and vision and the mental side of the game is off the charts. The way he thinks the game is elite. So you add all his other pieces plus his great attitude of going out there and listening and learning and asking questions. I mean, it's a recipe for success, but, you know, if there was one more goal called back, I think he probably would have got sent back. <laughs> but, Thank goodness he I mean, didn't call that last one. Oh. It was a tough week for the kid. I felt yeah. bad for him. He's like, seriously? I just loved he looked up and went, again? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, while he is credited right now with four goals, he has six, so that would put him a little bit closer to Mr. Uh, Raymond and Mr. Uh, Sider up there in Detroit. But That one's just under an asterisk. He's 19 years old. What I love about him, his head's always up. He's not looking down at the puck. He's not. He knows where to go. And I watch. Maybe I'm I'm looking for it. So I'm trying to see something that might not be there. But teams are starting to go. Well, let's bang him around and see what happens. He's a 19 year old. Philly tried it a little bit. Uh, Seattle did it a little bit, and he didn't back down. He didn't, and he didn't. He didn't become a wallflower. He's like, all right, I'll hit you right back. And well, he started one of the scrums in the Caps game. First exactly. period in front of the bench. That's it's what he does. So he's not this one trick. Oh, I just want to go out there and score goals and be that offensive, you know, kind of player. And uh, we have uh, I can get some confirmation because Walter Ruff is sitting in our room right now. He was he was a hard nosed kid with with Portland too, right? It wasn't like he just wanted to go out there and give me my twenty one minutes and get my points. If if he needed to mix it up, he would. All right, we got a nod from Movember's over, by the way, Walter. You Mike. can shave that. You can shave that uh, lip sweater. I believe it needs to be pulled. I believe that's only a given, you know, coming from the Western League. Oh. Everyone, you know, likes to get into it. That's what, part of the DNA, right? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's just not going to go go down that road with you because, you know, if you're from Sylvan Lake, I know that the toughness is just ingrained in you. And a couple, couple weeks from now, we start talking about World Juniors again. Uh, where the United States will flex their dominance. Well, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> Whatever you want to go with on that one, partner. We're good there. Uh, this, by the way, Scott, you will find out when you come back, the only time Shane and I ever really disagree with each other about things where it might get on the border of serious is I love USA hockey. I want this country to be the number one power in the world. I get that you've got to go through Canada to do that. And when it does happen, to see the disappointment in American Shane Willis – I was crushed last year, but respect. They they earned it. We're coming for you. They earned it. Although then there's that little country, Finland, that has what I think a, a grand total of three million people, and every single one of them is you know five minutes away from playing in the NHL. All you need to know is just let me know how many 50-50s you need. I'll call my mom. She'll purchase <laughs> during the World Juniors. I mean, one pot was $12 million last Seriously, year. I, I during the game. Watching. I, I didn't know whether I could get in. For, no, you got to be know, Canadian. Yeah. You have to be Canadian. Well, you're Canadian. You got an old Canadian passport. Well, you, I'll, no I think one. you might have to live in Alberta to win. All I know is I go to, we're going out to Western Canada, and if people have never seen this, they do like these 50-50 jackpots where it's for you know whatever team's foundation or whatnot. And I remember my first time I'm looking up, and I'm like, I think they hit the wrong number on the board. They put an extra zero in there. Nope. So it's like it's like fifty thousand dollars for a Tuesday night game in Calgary. It's one of the first things I used to listen to as a minor league hockey player, as if my grandfather's name was called for the fifty fifty <laughs> win because nice. it was a jackpot at the concession stand after. I mean, and then lunch, burgers, we were out. It was going out. Uh, one one last thing though on on Seth Jarvis, just so everybody knows. 
Uh, I, I think he's here for the whole year. But there's kind of this misconception that that the Canes don't have to send him back to Portland, that he has to play in the NHL. No, they can send him back to his junior team. It just means they've burnt a year on his entry-level contract by keeping him past 10 games. Uh, the next magic number this year for Seth Jarvis is 40, because when he plays 40 games, I believe that speeds up his arbitration rights and his – uh, his restricted free agency, but it it doesn't. I'm just going to say this again: it doesn't matter. The only thing for me now with Seth Jarvis is, you know, what happens when he does go on a dry spell because it will happen. And how does he continue to play? And it goes back to what I talked about: if he just keeps doing the things that he's doing, I, I don't think that he doesn't seem in the the brief moments that I've had a chance to talk to him because still have, and especially now, COVID protocol has really locked into place for the Canes and what we have to do. Uh, he doesn't strike me as somebody who worries about that as long as he plays his game. As And when I say that, meaning he knows if, if the chances are there or not. And, again, the kids these days, we've talked about it, they grow up. They are much more mature than the guys who were coming up before. And, and he just seems to handle it really well. And I also think it's a product of that locker room environment, too. They won't let him get too up or too down, you know, depending on how he's going. Yeah, surrounded with great people, which the Canes have, and obviously confidence is a big part of that. Anyone rocking a duster like that has confidence. <laughs> his, he can keep that mustache. Next to Walt. Walt, though, Walt, if that's a sweater, pull the thread. Just let it go. Uh, there is one thing, as I just brought it up, the COVID protocols are, are cracking down again. The Islanders have had to move games and have games canceled. Uh, we've already seen it with Ottawa. They've had to have some games uh, canceled. COVID is going to, at some point in time, affect every team in this league. Might not mean that you get a player with COVID or gets put on the protocol, but you might have a game moved because of it. So you're going to have to deal with it. Scott, I, I this for me is just always when it's the unknown, those are the nightmare scenarios for any league, any team. Um, how with who you've talked to around the league, what are your thoughts on where the, the league is handling it and, and you know, how can you contain it when these things happen? And, of course, the worst thing that could happen if you're a player is you test positive on the road like Ethan Bear did for the Canes, and then you have to spend 10 days, if you're in the States, 10 days in a hotel room waiting to get cleared to be able to come back. Yeah, I, I, I'll, uh, I don't think any of us thought, or certainly I don't think anyone imagined we'd still be at this stage, at this stage of the season, right? I mean, I think... You know, I think there was a feeling of optimism, not just in hockey, of course, but just in general that, you know, with the vaccination rates and certainly in hockey with the, you know, all but one or two players getting vaccinated and all the staff vaccinated, all those kinds of things. And it's a, just a reminder that, that, you know, that we're not done yet. And and so we're talking about these kinds of breakthrough cases. And I think what, you know, the positive part of it is that for all of the things that have happened and Ottawa and the Islanders, of course, uh, postponed games and uh, lots of, you know, Boston went through, you know, without their coach the yeah. other night. And, but the, we, you know, we're not talking about players who've been hospitalized. We're not talking about players, you know, that if they're symptomatic, it's not as severe, certainly as in the, in, in the, the hottest part of the pandemic. So I think that's a positive thing. Um, I, you know, the NHL is, told teams not to do holiday gatherings and to really cut down on their, um, you know, on their, you know, sort of extracurricular activities. And, and, and we're still waiting to hear the word on the Olympics, right? January 10th is the, 
that's the trigger date for withdrawing from the Olympics without financial penalty, which will be critical for owners. So it, it, my guess is, you know, the NHL and the NHLPA are, are going to watch this closely. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a huge Olympic guy. I can't yeah. wait. But man, I I have a I have a I have a I have a bad feeling about it. Yeah, it definitely makes you nervous when you start seeing these things pop up. When you look long term on a positive, to get through two months and have two teams, yeah, you know. So if you look long term, if the whole season there was six teams that got postponed, that I think that would be a win for the National Hockey League. And I still feel they're doing the right things. They're sending things out. They're sending out protocols on on what should be happening. Pull back because. The players are no different than the rest of the world. This is here with us, and it's going to be here with us for a long time, but we sometimes let our guard down. You yep. know, you find yourself rolling in the grocery store, and, oh, I forgot my mask in the car. Um, those things happen to everybody. It happens to the players, and it's just always a reminder of saying, hey, we want to get through the season. This is important. We want to put on a show for our fans to make sure we are crossing the T's, dotting the I's, and make sure we're doing things right. And I think the team is. I know that training staff and led by Doug Bannon, the Carolina Hurricanes are extremely watchful of what is happening with their players and how things are handled. So I think they'll be good. You know, Ethan Bear getting back to Raleigh, I believe, today or tomorrow, um, hopefully back in the lineup Saturday. And then you hope the tests stop at that. And I think for the next week you kind of sit on pins and needles because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen because really we've – We've had vaccinations, and everyone said so many things about the virus, but you really don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it can happen to anybody. These guys are vaccinated, and they're testing positive. So it can happen. It's just a matter of how you move on. You hope you progress. And the league, I think, at least sees that when they need to step in and postpone games, they're doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, the Islanders probably wish they'd stepped in earlier with the skid they were on. Sure. But – you know, they are doing the right things in that mindset. Yeah, and, uh, you know, knock wood, I'll do that for everyone, that uh, for Carolina, the, I hate to say the shocking thing was Ethan Bear comes up positive on that West Coast trip, and then nobody else did because then when one positive comes in, all right, now that – not saying that they weren't testing, but now testing yeah, truly works up. Yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, it doesn't come back until at the end of the road trip so you know outside of that window to only have and, and hopefully it's only three and I, I hate it for Brett Pesci and Tony D'Angelo and, and Ethan Bear that uh, that they have to miss time because of this but also it, it'll kind of be a big thing for the Canes if it's only three guys um, you know three big pieces of your team all three right shot defensemen but still something you go with it. I want to go back to what you were talking about though, Scott I love the Olympics in Olympic hockey with the the pros. Yes, the greatest story of all time is the United States beating the Russians with a bunch of college kids. Can it ever do that? Uh, that's just for you, Shane. Um, we don't have colleges, university kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a bunch of university kids ever do that, Shane? That was a good uh, movie. I saw it one time. <laughs> Again, <laughs> sorry, Scott. I do get petty for that one thing. But when it became the NHL in the best on best, and then 2010, the golden goal for Sydney uh, and Team Canada, and I will give the the kudos when they come Mm -hmm. in. That's some of the best hockey you'll ever see. But if you're the league and you're hearing, well, if a player tests positive over in Beijing, he might have to stay there three weeks. Uh, And then if that's – you're not losing a depth defenseman. You're not losing a – checking line winger you're losing one of the best players in the league and you know the canes 
are going to have a lot of guys just based on how they play who will be in Beijing. A lot of teams are going to look at this. So you said you don't have a good feeling about it. Big picture, how important is the month of December for the league to get through this? And it, it's stopped here. Like the, the last time we hear about some team losing a player or putting them on the COVID list is, you know, the, the Hurricanes, and, and that's it. Because if this flares up with another three or four teams, I can really see that January 11th day coming into play. Yeah, and, and part of the, the issue is that it's – part of the issue is, A, the owners hate the Olympics, so they, they don't want to be going there to begin with. But it's enshrined in the CBA. But the wording is a bit vague on the trigger and, and being able to, to withdraw from the Olympics. And if I paraphrase it, it's if there's, you know, demonstrable changes to the schedule um, because of COVID, that, that that's, you know, the NHL has that latitude. And, and I think the players understand that too. And if you're right, if there are two or three more teams and now we're talking having to reschedule not just six games, but maybe it's 10 or 15 or, or whatever it is, um, then, then I, I think there are some issues and, and it's, and it's the trending, you know, where is, where is it trending? Um, not just here in North America, but, uh, but beyond. And it's, yeah, it, it's troubling. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm fortunate. I've covered three Olympics and was in Vancouver for the golden goal. And, um, it's, uh, no, Sidney Crosby, Mike. If you yeah, yeah no, a, I, I, I said his name. On Ryan yeah. Miller, who was the most outstanding player of that tournament, a goalie for um, USA. Yeah, uh, and you know what? I, you know, to me, selfishly as a fan, yes, I, I, I can't think of anything better than watching the world's best back at the Olympics in, in Beijing and playing on an NHL-style rink in that tournament. Uh, but I feel badly for the players, right? I feel badly for... Sebastian Ajo and Andrei Svechnikov and I, you know Connor McDavid and Austin you'd think all those players who have never played in a true best-on-best best tournament, with all due respect to the 16 World Cup of Hockey, yep. to have this opportunity this close and and to see that it hangs in the balance now. And it's not anybody's fault. It, it is what it is. But I don't know. I hope we yep. – maybe this is as bad as it gets and we see those players yep. play on that stage because – I I believe that it is critically important for the growth of the game, and it's a you know anybody who's a, even a casual fan of the game, man, you want to watch yeah. every moment of that. Well, I love it too, and I think I agree with you. The owners aren't big fans because there's high risk involved for them for sure. with all these elite players going over there. But as you mentioned, it is so amazing to watch these games and how much these guys compete. This isn't going in. Hey, let's have an all star game. Yeah. We're gonna go head to head because there's a lot of pride in the line. I mean, as Mike and I jar back and forth. Yeah the way these guys want to play for their country is off the charts. And I completely agree with you from my other role in youth hockey. This is the biggest stage that any kid can see the sport. And it goes across the world. It's not just broadcasting the United States. And in the youth hockey world, after the Olympics, we see the biggest jumps in growth in sports. Yeah. Not only hockey, but the other sports yep. kids seeing on the Olympics. Like, I want to try that. Um, and hockey does such a good job at promoting it and getting the games on TV for people to see. And again, the energy that comes off those games is just, I mean, it's just very, so similar to the world juniors. I mean, I could sit there and these are 18 year old kids and watch those games over and over. Yeah. Because it, it matters. You're, you're playing for, there's no money on the line. You're, you're playing for we're the best in the world. And if I get blowback on this, feel free to do this. I also look at this. We always get caught up in North America in Canada versus the United States. And, you know, these two countries are, have really emerged. But 
If you ask Canadians and Americans deep down inside, would you rather win the Stanley Cup or a gold medal in the Olympics? I, I think that it would probably be 75-25 Stanley Cup to the, to the gold medal. And it's not devaluing the gold medal. But the European players, if you ask them, would you rather win a gold medal or a Stanley Cup, I think it might be like 90-10 that they'd rather win the gold medal. It means something to Alexander Ovechkin. I mean, here's the guy. What more does he need to prove in the NHL? And he desperately wants to play in the Olympics. It means something to the the Finns that the Carolina Hurricanes have, Sebastian Ajo and Tavo Teravainen. I remember Dominic Hoshik telling the story of, you know, he led the Czechs in 98 uh, to a win. I forget who they beat for the gold medal. Beat Russia in yeah. the gold medal game. Yeah. Beat Canada in a shootout. That's right. Well, you yeah. think, so, think about those rivalries. Wayne, Wayne Gretzky sitting on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> those rivalries. Now that that's a hot-button topic up of there. Ru- of Russia versus the Czech Republic. Yeah. You know, Finland, Sweden. Those oh, are heated. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's – but Dominic tells stories of people in the Czech Republic would knock on his door and thank him. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just like for – so it, it, it means more to that. So I want it for guys like Sebastian Ajo and, you know, for yeah. – Nino Niederreiter and the Swiss and Freddie Anderson yeah, in, first in time, Denmark, first, first time, time in. in the Olympics. Like, I, I covered the uh, Sochi Games, and um, it was the first time that Slovenia had been in. And uh, Andrzej Kopitar's dad was coaching, and, you know, Andrzej Kopitar was a captain. He'd already won two Stanley Cups, so he was going to win a second one that spring. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the joy, they beat, they won a game in the round robin. They weren't going to win a medal. Yeah. Everyone knew that. They won a game in the round robin, and when they came through the mix zone, I, I honestly, the look on all their faces, it was absolutely priceless. And that was that was a moment in time for everyone in Slovenia. And yeah, I, I, I hope I hope the players around the NHL, no matter what country they yeah. are going to play for, I hope they get a chance to have that kind of moment. But I think, and I, I used those ratios when you're in it. You want to win the gold medal. You know, you want to be, what is it, uh, they call it, when you win uh, the Stanley Cup, uh, gold medal, and a world championship. Triple what is gold? it? The, the triple gold. Uh, you, you want that. And I just love watching the hockey because yeah, it's it. so damn good. It's so good. Uh, you, there's there's always one game that brings you, you know, to the edge of your seat and you want to watch it. So hopefully it goes off, but uh, we'll wait and see. We do have some questions to get to, though, guys. Some that we've kind of answered, but we can go back and revisit. This from Stuart Miller. Do you guys think the Canes need to be more aggressive at crashing the net and focus on dirty goals? I would tell you 100% every player and every coach in the NHL says they always have to be more focused on crashing the net, getting to the greasy, dirty areas and scoring those goals. Well, I think the majority of your goals come from that. It's not the elite-level snipes that we see night in and night out. It's the guys around the net, a breakdown, the puck comes out, and someone hammers it in the back of the net. So I agree with you. All right. This is from Ryan. This one... This one's coming in a little hot. Oh. The Canes' power play has been made completely obsolete and at times even a liability, allowing more shorthanded attempts than shots on goal. It's a little hot. Uh, what needs to happen to fix this? Brian must have been listening to the first intermission. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Adam Gold said, that they got more shots than we did on that first power play, eh. which is true. But I think it just goes back to the skill levels there. It's elite. We talk about confidence that is not there right now. Yep. For a group like this, all it takes is one. You know, you get into a, a game, into a team that's struggling maybe on the PK, and everything clicks that night. But I agree that it needs to be better because you need those goals to win games, especially those tight ones against, you know, some big-name teams. Yeah, 
I wonder maybe go to that five D format on the power play. We saw the five forward. Five D. Ah, never mind. I mean that could that could work. You get some big bodies out. Well, it won't work until they get all their defensemen out of that's COVID true. protocol. So, anyway, <laughs> yeah, we'll shelve that. We'll, we'll table that one for another. Table that for another day. day. Yeah, maybe after the uh, after Christmas. I think Tim Gleason would be for it. Yeah, <laughs> get the get the D a little bit more glory on the yeah. offensive side of the puck. Uh, but it'll it'll be back. I I actually think that maybe Stuart Miller's question can uh, answer the Ryan question, which is just. Got to get to the dirty spots and oh. get a rebound and poke one home. I almost feel like John Torrell is coaching every team in the league right now with how many block oh. shots. Right? Is he everywhere? The, all right. Uh, this might go. This might go over some folks, but is he the Pat Riley of the NHL? Remember when Pat Riley? You know, it was showtime and up and down the ice with the 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 you know up and down the the floor with the Lakers. Then he goes to the Knicks and games start being played seventy to sixty four because he's like, well, I, I don't have enough offensive players. We're going to try to lock things up. Did John Tortorella? You played for Torts. Did he even coach in the offensive zone? No. <laughs> well, he wasn't. He, he after he left Tampa, he, he got into blocking. When he got to the Rangers, that's that's blocking. what I'm saying. It's about when you go to New York. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, we got to play this kind of defense. He didn't call me. He knew I wasn't going to block one. <laughs> I'm not getting for those things. You guys are nuts. It's, Dallas had 17 last night. 17 blocks, and the Canes had 40 shots. Yes. Yeah. So Scott, I put it to you, Scott. Uh, not on the John Tortorella thing, but kind of what Shane just said. Everybody is so good, and it's not. It's not even one guy blocking a shot anymore. It's not one guy fronting the shooter. You get layers of guys trying to block a shot before it even gets to the guy who gets paid to do it, the goalie. We were joking earlier about, you know, fans, they want the power play to shoot, shoot. Well, the, the, the shot is, you know, the shot is so often not there now because of the way teams yep. collapse into the middle and block the shooting lanes. And, then the, and the, the challenge then is how do you work a power play to position yourself to create a, a lane that isn't blocked, that allows a shot, that allows you to get traffic yep. in front, that has you know that has value, and that's the like I don't I don't I don't I, there's an answer there. It's above my pay grade. Five D. Five D. There's the answer. I think with the five D. Hey, who would know? Who would it's know like better? The flying torpedo. <laughs> right? Was that the Swedes? Did they that? Uh, I just go back to the flying V from the flying Mighty v, Ducks, that, yeah, the, no, the yeah. most illegal play in hockey history. Just the torpedo. Just the torpedo. Just, the torpedo. just the torpedo. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to but, try the flying torpedo. Hey, I think it's 5D. Yeah. There it is. We've cracked the code. All right. But, I mean, who would be better to know how to get the puck through guys who block shots than guys who block shots? Yeah. I think they make equipment too good. It should sting more. Well, that was. <laughs> it doesn't. Even, was they it? don't even feel it now. <laughs> what was it? It was uh, Bobby Hall would just fire one up high to make sure that eh, this is what Buzz you're going to get in front of. Yeah. You know, he'd miss one on purpose. Just be so you want to get in front of this guys. Okay. Yeah. I think I watched Gregory Campbell play most of a penalty kill on a broken leg mm. after blocking a shot against uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah. I want to say 2011, maybe. Uh, anyway. Yeah. After the game there, oh. when someone had, it was something crazy. The Kings had 25 block shots against or something. Someone sent me a picture of Craig Ludwig. Remember those shin pads? <laughs> yes. Looked like he had yellow pages all over like him. So. Stuffed with time magazines. I've seen those uh, shin pads. Uh, I, the year I spent in Dallas, I uh, spent a lot of time with Craig. And I've seen, they're in a, uh, they're in a case, a glass case. But I'm not sure Craig knows exactly where they are. I know the Hall of Fame has asked for them. And I, I'm paraphrasing <laughs> Craig's response was, when I get in, the shouldn't be <laughs> something like that. I just want to, like, 
I want to know how good of a, a tailor he is because he had to have been doing excellent work with needle and thread with those things. He's he's a man of many talents, <laughs> I will tell you. Uh, here's the question. This this actually goes for all of us, but kind of focused here. Uh, how do you pack for ten days six on air appearances in suits and casual wear in one suitcase? Uh, people were giving Abby Labar hell for bringing two suitcases. I don't blame her. I will blame her because she actually brought five, and three were just for shoes. Uh, no, wow. uh, at, suits no. are easy. Yeah, suits are easy. And and here's how: you bring three suits, you wear one on the plane, and then you have two that you rotate. So, you know, you wear different two suits. shirt tie combinations. Always, you got to bring. You have to bring six different shirts yeah. and six different ties, and you usually bring two extra shirts because something's going to happen along the way. Uh, casual, not going to lie, you can get away with casual stuff because you can bring, like, two pairs of, of jeans or whatever pants you want. Um, for guys, you know, Abby's got to bring different pairs of shoes. I can't speak for her, but she I remember the first road trip. She's like, how do I pack for this? And I'm like, I'm a guy. I do not know how you need to pack for a road trip because uh, she's got different combinations to bring. Um, but you bring a pair of sneakers. I bring one suitcase, and it's a, a big travel suitcase. It's a... Uh, and so that fits my suits and my shirts and everything. And then I bring a duffel bag. And in the duffel bag, I put my sneakers and, like, gym clothes and some other stuff in there. And that's how you do it. And you pray you don't forget anything. I'm curious. When you tra- when you travel and all the discussion about uh, dress codes and stuff like that, I mean, do you, did you like the idea of, especially on a long, long road trip, because you got to, you know, shoes, you know, shirts, ties, all that kind of stuff. Do you like, did you like dressing up? Like, did, did you feel that was important? I did going to the rinks. I think all the guys did. I think there were days on those long road trips where you could throw in a pair of jeans and go out to dinner and not have to worry about it. But I think it's one of the things when you come into the league, you respect and you, you continue to do it. I think a lot of guys really get into it now with their fashion and their style. And, you know, it's changed as well too. what fashion is, Mike. I never did. I don't you like have, fashion. You have a story that you have to tell. Which one? About your suit that you vow will one day come out of your closet. Oh, the checkered one? Yes. Oh, I, I don't know if I still have it. <sighs> but I did get it made. Scott, Scott, you're you the checkered you're, suit? Scott, you're well, the yeah. better investigative reporter on this one. You've got to get it him was, to tell this story right now. I saw the swatch, and I thought, this will look cool. This guy was going to make some suits. I said, I want this one. He goes, oh, that'll be nice. And this thing showed up. And I was like, wow, that's aggressive. I don't know if I can pull this off. And I remember rocking in, first game I rolled in with it, someone, I can't remember who it was, looked at me and was like, what is that? You know, all the guys now would be able to get away with oh, it. Oh, yeah. You know, and it came out. It was in the back of my closet, and I pulled it out one day, and my wife goes, don't even think about it. <laughs> like, I was going to go with it, but it got denied. That would be like P.K. Subban's casual wear, the way you explained it. Yeah. I got so, a couple new ones coming out, though. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the players can kind of get away with, you know, only bringing – one suit or two suits if they want to, right? You don't have to bring a ton as a player because right. no one need... really sees you going in the back door and yeah. out. So you're on TV. Everyone sees what you're wearing. Yeah. So uh, that's how. So you, you just, you know, and for me, I, I don't know if I want to give this secret away yet. People have caught on over the years. I am not. Shane is a, a fashionista compared to me. I do not have that eye, but I map out what I wear yeah. based on the opponent. Because I did notice if, the tie last night. Yeah, thank you. So it's just easier for me that way. I know that like a gray suit 
with a green and blue tie and a white shirt goes. So that's what, so for a road trip, Anaheim, I was going to wear a black suit in Anaheim, you know, LA, I had a gray suit to wear in LA and Seattle or San Jose. I had a dark blue suit I could wear there. So those were the three suits I was going to bring. And then you just figure out the order you're going to wear them and then coordinate the shirt and tie to match. So that's it. Orange suit in Philly next time, please. Yeah, no. <laughs> only if only if Trip goes with the light blue. We'll wear the tuxedos from Dumb yes. and Dumber. Yes, We'll do that. I'll even wear the top hat and bring the cane. Just and tell Abby we can't see her feet on TV. She doesn't need to wear nice. Shoes. I I have and Scott can back me on this one because I'm sure that you have watched games from the Zam the Zamboni entrance or the Olympia entrance or John Deere entrance. I'm I want to make sure that I'm getting everybody happy. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you've watched them there. I learned quickly. You do not wear good shoes in that area, especially Ottawa and Winnipeg. Like, just wear whatever you want. You're not people are not going to see your footwear. So, I wore really, really good shoes in Ottawa, and I realized that they didn't want me there, and they were going to shovel all of the snow mm. onto my footwear as I was by the door doing my good hosts. I don't like that. They were, yeah. <laughs> yeah you're so. trying to do your job. Yeah. Well, That's all right. In Abby's oh, defense. Over the, over the years, I earned their trust in Ottawa. You so. go back to the model of, you know, guys you say all the time when you, we didn't wear helmets and warm-ups, but it was all about look good, feel good, play yeah. good, you know. So you got to have good shoes on. I respect Abby for putting on Oh, no. Nice. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a, but you, it's one of those things you learn. I, I don't blame her for it. I really no. don't. But trust me. I, when I go on a, a trip with my wife, like, there is one bag that I know is nothing but shoes, and I am not going to. I'm, I know I have to carry it, but I have no use for that. So, and that's fine. It's important. Look good, feel good, play yeah. good. I'm with you. So, yep. that answers that question. Scott Burnside, uh, we do have this a late arriving question. Do we have predictions for the Metro Division for the end of 2021? So, like just January? Like when we like get to January December, 1? Yeah. yeah. I mean, where are we doing it for the season? Or, yeah. I don't know. Is it a trick question? I don't know. Because um, that's, uh, you're right, that's only three weeks. Yeah, so. I mean. Oh, four weeks. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's go so. to the end of December. All right. Of we'll do that. We'll, 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 go, we'll go to January 1. I think January that that's 1? fair enough. January 1, which is, you know, that's the end of 2021. We'll be in the new year. Washington, and you consider what they are playing without right now. Uh, they don't have TJ Oshie. They no you know, Nicholas don't Nicholas Backstrom have, no, all year. No Nick Backstrom all year. Uh, and Peter Laviolette has them playing really good hockey. Um, Ilya Samsonov has been very good. They trust Vitek Vanacek. They've got good goaltending. Uh, Nick Jensen is playing outstanding on the blue line yeah. with John Carlson, who's doing John Carlson things again, which is just putting up tons of points. Uh, I'm going to say, even though the Canes have two games in hand on the Caps, I'll go that Washington and Carolina will be tied in points by the end of the month. Yeah, it's 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 Old. a bit bit of a bit of a way homer to, call. Way to way to find a spot on that fence. Yeah, I oh, I find it and I'm going to ride that fence all the way through. Uh, and here is here is going to be the the shocker. Then after that, I'm going to put I'm going to keep the Rangers right where they're at, which is in third place with 29 points. Because again, they're getting the goaltending and. Uh, their players. I don't know if this is sustainable for the whole year for the Rangers, mm-hmm. but you know there is one thing I know about Gerard Gallant. He gets a lot out of teams his, his first year there, and then Pittsburgh Malkin's back skating. Maybe get on the ice, but we're looking for this. Here's the the shocker that I'm going to give you. I think New Jersey is going to end up 
uh, in fifth, and then we'll go Columbus, Philly, and the Islanders. Okay. So okay. Washington and Carolina at the top of the division. Uh, I, because I pointed out, here's why. I pointed out after the game on Sunday, or before the game on Sunday, as both teams had 31 points, winner moves into first place. Yes, I remember. I was watching. Yeah, and uh, someone said, well, actually, no, because the Canes have two games in hand. I'm like, no, it's about today and the points today. So now I just try to make everybody happy, Scott, which just makes me miserable. It's an admirable goal. It's hard to – Not going to happen. I, I, I like, um, I'm curious about the Rangers. I didn't, you know, said that, you know, the staying power there. I, I've been so impressed with the Pittsburgh – Tristan Jari's oh. answered a lot of questions after a – really rocky playoff last year and Malkin getting now I don't think he's imminently going to return but uh um that's it they're a team um yeah I I know whether they can catch the Rangers before the end of the calendar year or not um the team that I and boy that they just got rocked last night but I've really enjoyed watching Columbus like really have been so impressed with the job Brad Larson's done there former Atlanta Thrasher and uh, <clears throat> team captain of the world junior team I was a part of. Yeah. Yep. I think he's done an amazing job, um, but they've they've gone a bit sideways. So I don't know whether yeah. they can stay. And Devils, I don't know. Uh, they're they're getting Jack Hughes back in the lineup. Um, Lindy's a Lindy knows how to keep Lindy Ruff knows how to keep teams. I like that team. They're very young, very young. I guess for me the big question is um, Philly and the Islanders. And it's that's been a tough road in Philly. No Ryan Ellis, um, um, Kevin Hayes, obviously yeah. not able to play just yet. Although I think he's pretty close. Uh, I don't know what's the what's the deal there, and can the Islanders at some point, you know, they're going to get back in. They've been cleared to resume yep. play. Is are they finally going to be the team that we thought they were going to be at the start of the season? To me, that's the biggest question over the next month. Can those two teams that I think a lot of us imagine would be right in the heart of the playoff mix in the Metro, can they get off the map? That's why I'm glad that we're just capping this at uh, yeah. December 31st because the why Islanders spoil it? The Islanders yeah. are the team that I don't know. Yeah. Because eight points to make up in, in four weeks, Scott. Six teams to jump. Yeah. I mean, they, they've got 12 points. They're 5-10 and 10, uh, with uh, two overtime losses right now. The, the team I want to know what they are is Philadelphia. I, I don't know what they are. I don't know if they're good. I don't know if they're... They're not. In, in some nights, they looked apart. Uh, Columbus, Columbus has the same. I think to a greater degree. I don't know the staying the staying power, but they've been fun to watch. Yeah, how they I love play. How they play. And a Pitts, great goaltending. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's you. You got goaltending. You got a chance. Yep. So, but Pittsburgh is the the team. You know we we've been trying to write off Crosby and and Malkin for a couple of years, and they just they find a way to get in the playoffs. I don't Let's know keep if they win the cup. Hanging around. Hanging around. <laughs> Check, check, check. Very well done. It's a good rounders reference there. I didn't know you had it in you, my friend. Please don't splash the pot, especially when we get to the Olympics. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Scott Burnside, always great to uh, track you down. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for putting up with our noise here. Yeah, so well, Thanks. I uh, gave you a nod in our uh, your podcast with Mike McKenna. and uh, Suitcase and the Scribe gave you a nod this morning because – I've been squatting in your office for a number of hours, so thank you for that. Me office, a Sioux office, so it works that way. I'm just happy that uh, this office is used for an, an actual decent podcast, so that's the good <laughs> thing. And remember, Scott gave us five defensemen on the power play. It, it, we've had five forwards. Why not five defensemen? Wow. There was a time when the Red Wings could have done it. Yeah, that's true. Just 
Just throw it out there. Just, just throw it, it out there. Why not? I mean, other than it will screw up the minutes for <laughs> yeah. everybody. Who who you send out after they come off the ice? When the penalty ends, you're in trouble. Well, you're 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 putting the cart way in front of the horse there, Shane. One thing at a time. They'll score within thirty seconds, okay. then there's no problem. Yeah. Scott Burnside's cracked the code for us here on Kane's cast. That'll do it for us for Scott Burnside from Daily Faceoff, Shane Willis, uh, our voyeur Walter Ruff, <laughs> Mike Maniscalco. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.